All right, turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 6. 1 John 2, 1 through 6 can be found on page 1021 in the Pew Bible in front of you. 1021 in the Pew Bible in front of you. 1 John 2, 1 through 6. First John 2, 1 through 6. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, as we hear your word this morning, we ask that you would speak to us through it. We ask that you would open up our hearts and minds to receive your word. And we pray that you would give us assurance in the Christian life as we seek to honor you and obey Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Test. Test. Seems to be working. Test, right? We've, we've been tested in, in many ways in our own lives. and We've been... We've, face tests as well, whether it was a, a time test in math class, whether it was a litmus test in chemistry, whether it was a driver's test, or whether it was a pregnancy test. Or like me this week, it involved running a speed test on our internet to see if we had internet this week. We take tests, and these tests are indicators. They enable us to determine what something is. They verify or give evidence concerning the item that is being examined. How does a person know if they are pregnant? Well, you wait and see, right? Or you take a test. They take a test. I'm not saying anything, by the way. <laughs> All right? The test reveals and indicates what is true, whether we claim it or not. And that's what we see in our text here this morning. We are introduced to our first test. It is the test of obedience. Before we jump in, I want to say passing the test doesn't make someone a Christian. But it gives us evidence that we are a Christian. And it gives us assurance that, in fact, we do know Christ. We know him personally, relationally. And I want to be clear about that up front. You do not obey in order to become a Christian. Faith in Christ alone, apart from works of the law, is the only grounds and basis for our right standing with God. But the test of obedience 
reveals that we are Christian. And when we pass this test, and, and there will be other tests in this book in 1 John, when we pass the test, we can have assurance that we know God. So this is the first test that John introduces us to. There's two other tests that we're going to see in this letter. They're the test of love and the test of belief. And you saw that even on my uh, insert as well in the sermon schedule. We'll be talking about the test of love and the test of belief. Or as some writers say, the moral test. Do we obey the commands of Christ? The second one is the social test. Do we love one another? And the third is the theological test. Do we or what do we believe concerning Jesus Christ? We're going to see this unfold and unpack throughout the book. And then what John will do is he'll cycle through them again a second time. So this morning, first, consider with me the, the test of obedience. And we'll see that this test of obedience will serve as a litmus test that will reveal the claims of those who call themselves Christians. The test of obedience provides assurance that we are followers of Christ. We can know. We can know that we are in a right relationship with God. So, here's what we see. That those who belong to Christ seek to avoid sin. Those who know Christ keep his commands. And those who are united to Christ walk as he walked. So first, those who belong to Christ seek to avoid sin. Those who claim to know Jesus Christ and be in a relationship for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So as John addresses his readers, he's filled with affection, the affection of a loving father or grandfather towards his children. His children in the faith have they've heard the claims of the false teachers they, that say this, you can know God and be in a relationship with God and live however you want. And we saw last week, and it becomes clear here as well, this is not the case. These are false claims. And so John wants to encourage his readers, encourage his children in the faith, so he writes for the purpose that they might not sin. True Christians seek to avoid sin no matter what other people claim, those who belong to Christ strive to avoid sin. But at the same time, John recognizes the reality of sin in the life of believers. And so he provides the solution to their problem of sin. So before we, we shrivel up in, in fear and despair, he provides these comforting words and assuring words when we do fall into sin the end of verse 1 and verse 2. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. If we sin, when we sin, when we fall into temptation, which will happen, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the, the righteous one. And he's the propitiation for our sins. What, what does that mean? What does that mean? Imagine, imagine you're in a courtroom 
and you're on trial. You stand condemned before the judge because of your crime that you have committed against the judge. But then the judge's son walks into the courtroom. In fact, the, I might add this. The judge sends his son into the courtroom as well. And the son walks in and declares to the judge, My blood! My blood speaks on his behalf. My blood was shed for the forgiveness of his sins. Of her sins. And so now, the judge looks upon me And the verdict is announced. Not guilty. Not guilty. No condemnation. You see, Jesus doesn't plead that we are innocent that we have no sin or have not sinned. But he pleads, he's our advocate, he pleads on the basis of his work on our behalf. He is, he is the, the intercessor. And he is also the sacrifice. So that all who place their faith in Christ, the verdict will be announced not guilty. As our high priest, we, we sung about this, didn't we? As our high priest, he intercedes for us. And he is the propitiation. He is the sacrifice. He was the one sacrificed and killed. And sins were removed from us. And God's wrath was averted and satisfied. And God now looks upon us with favor as his children, as those who belong to him. We sang about this, didn't we? Jesus, my great high priest, you shed your blood and died. My guilty conscience seeks no sacrifice beside. Your pure and precious blood for all my sin atoned, and now it pleads before the throne. Praise God, right? God's wrath toward us is removed even when we fall into sin because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Since he paid the penalty for our sin, we can be called children of God. We can belong to him when we trust in him alone for salvation. So trust in him. Place your faith in Christ. Everybody, place your faith in Jesus. We can call others, no matter who they are, doesn't matter who you are or what, what you've done, we can and we call you, I call you to place your faith in Jesus, to trust in him alone for salvation. And because of Christ's work for us, 
not guilty. But also, we should therefore strive to avoid sin, right? We shouldn't pursue sin, but we should seek to prevent it. I still, I still remember, and I've, I, I believe I've told you this story before, but I think it's appropriate to help us better understand what's going on here and why we should avoid sin when we consider the sacrifice of Christ for us. Let me, let me explain this story. When Johnny was five and Caitlin was three, I think I've told you this before, when Johnny was five and Caitlin was three, she did something where she disobeyed me. Okay, not surprising. Three-year-olds disobey often. And she deserved to be punished. And she knew it. And Jonathan said to her, in his five-year-old little voice, and Jonathan said to her, Caitlin, I'll take your discipline for you. I'll take your punishment for you so that you don't have to be because that's what Jesus did for us. That's the gospel. And so I disciplined my son. I disciplined Jonathan he was punished, and he stood in her place so that she might be spared from my wrath. And how did she respond? Thank you, Johnny. Thank you, Johnny. She was filled with thankfulness. And certainly she wanted to, to do things for him and honor him because of what he did for her. You see? When we consider Christ's work for us in paying the penalty for us as our and seek to avoid it. So we're filled with thankfulness because of what he's done. So my question for you is this. Questions. Are you seeking to avoid sin? Are you taking it seriously? And seriously enough that it leads you to avoid sin? Or are you of the mindset that oh, everyone sins, so it's not that big of a deal? Christ died for it. It doesn't matter. I can live however I want. It doesn't matter if I, if I swear or gossip or seek my own interest at the expense of others. It doesn't matter if I grumble or complain and get angry. It doesn't matter if I commit sexual immorality or impurity. No one will know. It doesn't matter. That's not the mindset of a Christian. That's not the mindset that we are called to. We should seek to avoid sin because we know the significance and pain that Christ went through on the cross for us. As those who claim to belong to Christ, we should seek to avoid sin. Second, second point is this. Those who know Christ keep his commands. 
Look with me now at verses 3 through 5, the first part of verse 5. Verse 3 says this, And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. So in, the, in this section, John teaches his readers that we can have assurance that we know God if we keep his commandments. The evidence that a person knows Christ is seen in their obedience to his commands. A person can have continual assurance that they are in a relationship with Christ by the ongoing obedience to his commands. And if, if someone claims to know God but doesn't keep his commandments, that person is a liar. That's what the text says. The person is a liar and the truth is not in him. Suppose you say to your spouse, and I would encourage you to do, to do this as well, Suppose you say to your spouse, Honey, I love you. Honey, I love you. How do you know that to be true? How do we know that to be true? Is there any evidence that you love your spouse? How can we know, or how can they know, that, and have assurance of this? Claim it with our words, right? Answer, our actions, our loyalty to them by faithfulness and commitment to our spouse, right? Claim it, it's evident in the way I treat my wife. And this reveals whether our words are true. And this is what John is teaching us here. We can have assurance that we know God if we keep his commandments. And if we fail to keep his commandments, we don't really know God no matter what we claim. So what are his commandments? What commands does John have in mind? And what does it look like to keep them? When we consider God's commandments, we might be drawn to the Ten Commandments. We might be drawn to what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount and in Matthew 5 through 7. We might be thinking of, the, he's referring to some list of do's and don'ts. That might be what we have in our minds when we think of commandments. But John clues us in, in his own letter, on what he has in mind later in the book. 1 John 3.23 says this regarding his commandments that we are to keep. 1 John 3, 23. And this is his commandment. Here it is. That we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. And, and John will even unpack this in the next line. Believing in... So, we can have assurance that we know God and have a personal relationship with God if we believe in Christ... Not just once, but continual, ongoing trust and belief in Jesus and love for one another. When someone says they believe in Jesus, what should we tell them? 
Keep believing. Keep trusting in Christ. This is not a one-time event. And keep loving others. If a person lives in continual, ongoing unbelief concerning Christ and continuing to disobedience to the command to love one another, then that person's not a Christian and can have no assurance that they are a Christian, no matter what they claim. If the pattern of our life is unbelief and disobedience to Christ, then you can have no assurance that you are a Christian and no assurance that you're going to heaven. The test of obedience to his commandments reveals what we truly are. I have a tree in our backyard. I have four trees, I think four trees, right? I have four trees in our backyard, and if I tell you that this first one, this, this first tree that you approach, if I tell you and claim this until I am blue in the face that that is a pear tree, it's a pear tree, it's a pear tree, it's a pear tree. And then you start to see apples growing from it. What would you say? Is there any validity to my claim? It is evident that it is an apple tree. The fruit reveals what it really is. And those who know Christ will be characterized. The fruit that will flow out of us is obedience to his commands. We will keep his commands. We will, we will guard it. We will seek to be guided by it and pursue them like a treasure. We will desire to keep his word like a newborn longs for milk. And when we keep his word, we see in verse 5 that our love for God is perfected. As you consistently obey God and guard his word, your love for God will reach its climax and intended goal. Our love for God grows as we keep his commands, as we believe in Christ and love others. The more we know God, the more we love him. And we know this to be true in marriage, don't we? In a Christ-centered marriage, the more you get to know your spouse, I imagine this is the case, right? The more you get to know your spouse, the more your love for them will increase and grow. As those who claim, as those who know Christ, as we know Christ, might we keep his commandments. So are you keeping his commands? Is your life characterized by a, continu a continual trust in Jesus and love for others? May we examine ourselves to see if we truly know God. May you be assured that you know Christ by the fruit that you display in your lives. I'm not talking perfection here, right? None of us obey perfectly. He wouldn't have mentioned sin and what Christ had done for us if we obeyed perfectly. But the ongoing lifestyle of obedience to Christ. My third and final point is this. 
those who are united to Christ walk as he walked. Look with me at the last part of verse 5 and verse 6. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. John now gives us assurance that we are in Christ, that we are united to Christ by exhorting us to walk in the same manner in which Christ walked. The one who says he abides in Christ, who remains in Jesus, is connected to him like branches are to a tree, is obligated and expected to walk as Jesus walked. A true believer in Christ is obligated to follow Christ's example and and the pattern of his life. This is not optional, and we've seen this already, haven't we? And a true believer in Christ is expected to follow Christ's example in the pattern of life that he displayed. Being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus, and being saved by him is not just a ticket to heaven. It is not just a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's not just a change of an eternal address. It will and should result in a changed life that looks more and more like his. You see, this is what Israel had failed to do in the wilderness and in the promised land. If you're studying Joshua and Judges, you've seen this. They failed, Israel failed to keep God's word. They failed to be holy as God is holy. And this ultimately revealed their need for new hearts. And that's what it would reveal in us as well. If we fail to walk in the same way in which Christ walked, because the one who is connected to Christ will have a life that looks like Christ's. If you've ever noticed, if you've ever noticed children who spend a lot of time around their mom and dad, what do you observe? What have you seen? They begin to look a lot like them, don't they? They begin to walk like them. They talk like them. It becomes evident in their actions and mannerisms who they belong to. You probably see that in my kids. They express themselves the same way I do. The same is true of us as Christians. We ought to walk as Jesus walked. Our lives should be patterned after his which was a complete commitment and devotion to God. Our goals should be patterned after his. Not my will, but yours be done. He pursued the glory of God. Our interests should be patterned after his. In humility, Christ considered others above himself by becoming a servant. Our affections should be patterned after his. He delighted in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditated day and night. He had compassion for the weak and lowly. He loved God 
with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. The list could go on concerning the example that Jesus has given us. So may we continually look to Jesus and seek to follow his example. And as you observe your own life and see the fruit that you bear for Christ, might it give you certainty. Might it give you certainty that you know God and are in a relationship with him in light of the many uncertainties in our own day. May you seek to avoid sin. May you keep God's commands and walk as Jesus walked. May you pass the test. And I'm convinced of this. You'll pass the test of obedience. Belong to him and are a child of God. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks for your word. We give you thanks that you have given us your spirit to mold us and shape us and fashion us into the likeness of Christ. We could not do this on our own. We give you thanks that Christ died for us for the forgiveness of our sins. And as a result, we have been given new hearts. We've been given changed lives. We give you thanks that we can know with certainty. We can have assurance even this morning that we belong to you. And we don't have to live in doubt or fear of where we stand with you. We give you thanks that we can know this. And so might we continually come to Jesus and love him and love others the way he has loved us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.